Welcome to the CEO Digital Show Extra. In these episodes, Craig and I speak to business leaders for a deep dive into current technology trends and challenges. We go beyond high-level strategy to bring you an in-depth look at the issues and innovations not to be missed by the C-suite. You can find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. Craig, this was our first episode of the CEO.digital Extra. Um, as listeners will have heard from the intro, this is where we take a bit more of a deep dive uh, with business leaders on a specific technology point. Uh, today, we are talking to Yannick about personalization. Craig, what was the highlight of the interview for you? I really enjoyed listening to Yannick's take on, on how to implement the right technology to help improve customer experience and obviously better personalization. And it's not just about the right tech stack, it is also about company culture uh, and experimentation. And, you know, delving a bit deep into that, I found really interesting. What about you? Yeah, totally. I think for me, I was pleasantly surprised to learn about manufacturing really being the industry leader for driving forward personalization strategies. Um, I really enjoyed the case studies he shared, you know, it being a few examples of how they're achieving that for both customers and businesses alike. Yeah, exactly. And he had more than one example to share, which was um, surprising to say the least. <laughs> and then let's not forget, um, listeners definitely need to stay tuned for the farting Tesla stories that, that came up at the end. Oh yeah, not to be missed. <laughs> let's get into the episode. Sounds good. Our guest this week is Yannick Devantier. Yannick is currently the Director of Business Value and Strategy for EMEA at Sitecore, where he helps organizations to achieve successful technology adaptation, businesses and digital transformation in the marketing function and beyond. His focus is on value engineering and helping to justify investments through robust business cases and ROI models. Yannick, welcome to the CEO.Digital show. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. So Yannick, we've actually worked together before for quite a few years through some of the um, initiatives that we run, such as Chief Wine Officer. Um, and you know the work that you've been doing with Psycho, you've you've grown within that role. You've been there from the beginning, though. So I'm keen to hear a little bit more about how you got started um, at Psycho, and then you know your career since then. Yeah, so unofficially, I've been with Cycle for 13 years. Um, I was with Cycle for three years, and then I, I had a small uh, small break when I did something else, and then now I've been back for about 10. But I started back in, I believe it was 2004 um, in the UK. I was actually the third employee in the Cycle UK office back then. I mean, it's, oh, wow. it's quite a large August now, office now. So so yeah, so um, so it started back then, um, fairly young, you know, from. Uh, of age at least and also experience so I was completely new to to web content management which was a big thing back then and yeah spent about three years in in the uk and then i moved back to denmark i am from denmark and yeah so 13 years in in total started in sales and now worked my way up to you know um, a small stint in product marketing but now in more of the digital you know um, consultant area and what's kept you there for so long? What is it about Psycho that, that you believe in? And what kind of work are you guys doing right now that gets you really excited? I think what's kept me for so long is that Psycho has evolved over the past, you know, 13 years, 15 years that I've been part of it. It's basically a brand new company now again, and it's 
gone through that situation quite a few times. You know, when I started, it was really small. We were talking about content management and we were about maybe 80 people in total, including, you know, a large development um, office in, in the Ukraine. So we talked about web content management. We talked about websites. And, and back then, you know, it was all about, you know, getting content up, getting pictures up and, and doing that for, for, for companies around Europe and the world for that matter. Then we moved into the digital experience space. Right. We start talking about, you know, personalization. We start talking about email, then came commerce and we've just grown from there. So it doesn't feel like I've been within the same organization, even though, you know, we have the same roots and some of the same people as well. But it is, you know, it, it's, it's a completely different role. And, and the company has just grown so massively, uh, both in size, but also in, in terms of technology. So it's just been too interesting to leave. I think, you know, maybe that's in short. Well, getting, getting a little bit more into kind of the current climate um, and how it relates to what you guys offer at Sitecore. I mean, we talk every week on this podcast about the impact that the past year has had on how people have approached and thought about digital because, I mean, it's inevitable, right? Mm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the changes you've seen specifically at Sitecore? How have your clients responded and what challenges have you been helping them to overcome? I mean, I think um, looking at when it started, you know, over a year ago, you know, it was a big shock for everyone. You know, everybody freaked out and thought, okay, how are we going to do? You know, what, what are we going to do? Are we going to, you know, close stores? I mean, we can't meet up, we can't travel, we can't, you know, go to the local store. Um, and I think, you know, looking looking back for the past year or so, you know, it's been about adoption. I think, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you're putting a headline on it. Um, and I, I recently read like a, a McKinsey article as well that that put some figures on on the adoption part. And I think they said sort of in the first couple of months of, of COVID, you know, the the tech adoption among us, you know, the consumers, not the companies, but you know, the end users or customers, if you want, you know, it was about three years in a couple of months, right? So everybody had to really, you know, get on board with the digital because that was the only thing they could, you know. Um, but from a company perspective as well, if you flip it around as well, you know, um, the speed of in creating, you know, a digital or like a digital enhanced offering, you know, across the, the regions in Europe, I think that was about, you know, a seven year increase in adoption as well, just in the first couple of months. So, you know, it's been part super interesting, part scary, uh, and part panic mm. you know that's you know uh but if you're looking at from adoption perspective it, it's been it's been a really interesting journey over the past couple of years i mean I'm, i don't want to you know say that that covid has been interesting because obviously it's horrible but but yeah. it's uh, it, you know from an adoption of technology perspective it's been really interesting Definitely. And one of those kind of innovations that has become front of mind for businesses, especially from the marketing and digital perspective, um, is personalization. You know, it's very much at the forefront of the way people operate. You touched on how kind of there's such an increase in consumer uh, adoption of tech as well as business adoption of tech. Um, But traditional brands, are they equipped to deliver the kinds of personalized experience that these customers expect and if not what can they do to kickstart that transformation i think it's interesting that you say innovation because i know that that you know just dwelling on that for a little bit um you know for many companies you know starting personalization or doing personalization might be innovation but but you know obviously being a bit biased here but coming from a tech company that's been doing personalization since since 2008 um it's not really innovation for us you know it's so Mm. it's 
uh, I just want to touch on that because I think that's quite interesting. You know, through the eyes of, of, of me, I don't really see that there's been a lot of innovation on that front, you know, from, from the tech vendor's perspective, um, because the technology is there, it's been around the adoption. So if, you know, t- to answer your question as well, you know, the traditional companies that we're working with, are they equipped to do this? Well, the short answer, many, probably not. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's been one of the, you know, the headlines and also in the work that I do is, you know, how do we actually help companies that need to do this coming from a background where they're not really equipped to do it? How do we help them do it? So it, it's, it's really to start to look at if you, the question on, you know, how do we kickstart this and how do we help them do it? It's about quantifying what they can get out of it, because I think that's one of the main issues here is I think we can all go to a talk or read an article that says, you know, personalization is super important for experiences. I think many of the companies that we work with, they, they ask themselves, you know, what, what is that going to mean for me? You know, yeah. uh, am I going to be more efficient? I'm going to sell more. I mean, you know, what is it? And I think, you know, um, that should be the first thing that, that they should look at when it comes to kickstarting is quantifying that, quantifying the benefits, because otherwise it's going to be really hard. And, you know, let's talking about personalization for the listeners, if you weren't from a marketing or say sales background, how would you define personalization? And, you know, how do you, how do you cycle define it? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a few different things to, to, I think to look at, you know, there is the idea about being personal and then there's about personalization. If I speak to you and I'm being personal, I could talk about your hair, or if you are being personal, you can talk about my lack of hair. That's very personal, right? Um, personalization is, is not that, I mean, it's actually talking about something that I could need based on my lack of hair, if that makes sense. So I think, you know, when we talk about personalization, it's about figuring out and deliver a really good customer experience based on our needs and 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 what we're looking for and and also how we're doing things today in terms of you know if if i for instance see something as a good experience it's because it's easy for me it's time it's not so time consuming you know it's efficient and stuff like that so i think the personalization is really about that it's about figuring out what is important for that customer in order to create a, a great experience and then personalizing the you know the your efforts based on that Thanks. I, you know, I just had to ask because, um, you know, I think everyone has their own definition mm. of personalization and you do hear it as a bit of a buzzword in the industry and people do throw it about, but I think it can mean from a, a customer experience point of view, can mean different things to different people. So yeah. I just wanted to get your perspective on it. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and obviously, you know, um, being on a podcast, I mean, I was talking about hair. I just want to underline <laughs> that I, I don't really have any hair left. So, uh, so for those of you, there's no camera on. But uh, anyway, yeah. Further on the theme of personalization, you're also appearing at one of our upcoming networking events soon, a CEO.digital cafe on the 27th of April. And there you'll be talking about how to future-proof personalization. Can you give us a sneak peek of what you'll discuss there? And you know, in that, if you could cover how can businesses and marketing leaders ensure they're investing in and building personalization that lasts? Yeah, so so without spoiling, you know, everything on that, um, 
one of the things that, that I'm going to talk about is our personalization efforts. And, and one of the reasons for me to talk about it is because I, I, I read, I think it was Gartner that posted something last year um, where they, they were predicting that 80% of, of all marketeers, they will abandon personalization efforts by 2025. Um, so obviously when you, when you read an, I mean, when, when you're in my profession and you read an article that that's headlined like that, you know, suddenly you think, oh yeah. shit, you know, <laughs> what's going to happen. But, but the interesting part is, is, you know, is some of the reasons behind that, um, and I think, you know, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll talk around that because it's actually not about, you know, just it doesn't work. It's about how we actually are doing it and how we're measuring on it and, and some of those things. So so, so that's what I'm planning to um, to discuss uh, a little bit further or talk about um, next week. It sounds very exciting. And um, I believe I could be doing that one with you. So I'll get to uh, find out more uh, following that cliffhanger. I mean, all of this comes down to customer experience um, at the end of the day. And people are using customer experience as their sort of differentiator in the marketplace. You've made a, that statement about there not being any personalization in, in, you know, in a few years' time, uh, which is, uh, like you said, a scary concept and maybe, maybe potentially not true. But what do you think? feel like in the next few years what's the the big big leap that we're going to see in, in terms of customer experience what can we expect from brands you know this year and then in the next couple of years do you have any predictions or or visions for us i mean i think um you know going back to to where we started with, with the, the pandemic and COVID. you know it's been very much about adoption you know the last year and you know for, for for many companies actually you know multiple years also before the pandemic it was about how do we get more online how do we serve people more online so a lot of what we've seen is that i need a platform i need something that you know i can communicate with my customers or a platform where i can sell my products or a platform i can send out emails so, so it's, it's been very much about adoption of, of you know digital um i think uh, and I hope for that matter that the next iteration is going to be about that personalization. Is it going to be around the customer experience where, you know, we are all online now, right? So the battle is online. I mean, I'm not saying that, that we won't have stores obviously, but, but it's about that connected user journey. It's about that connected experience. It's about, you know, whoever is going to win, is going to do really good over the next couple of years are those who can create that, that great experience that can do like a personalized touch to the way they do business. So, so adoption is now there. I feel, you know, um, obviously there's a few lackers, but I think the battle is going to be around that, that customer experience in the next couple of years. And I think, you know, uh, to touch another good thing about the, the pandemic, you know, companies now know that they, they have to do it. So it's just how they do it and you know, how effective they're going to be. Yeah, and in one of the ways that they can do that is through having the right technology. Mm. It's not just about the technology; it's also about company culture uh, and internal internal processes. And can you touch on that a bit more? I know we've discussed it in the past, and it is a an interest of yours. Yeah, no, I, I think technology is important, but you know, to be fair, technology is only like an enabler. Right? I mean. As much as I think that like, using sort of uh, metaphors from the automotive world or, or analogies, you know, it, it you, you can get a fancy car, but it doesn't mean that you're a good driver. Um, so I think the culture and, you know, the processes, it, it is just that. 
you can spend all your budget in buying the most shiny tech. Um, and we also see that, and you know, we also see that with psycho customers sometimes. You know, they go out and they they buy a vision and they buy a dream, and then by the end of the day, they sit there and they think, how, how are we going to do it? You know, how, who's going to do it? Um, so, so the technology is, is an enabler. The team structure, culture, uh, executive leadership, more than anything else these days. That's really the backbone of doing it, you know, getting a culture around experimentation, getting a culture where it's fun to try new things. You know, if we talk about personalization, you know, personalization should be fun. You know, we're trying mm -hmm. to change things to make like, a, you know, to do better, to sell better, to, you know, create a better experience. So, and if you don't have that culture, I don't think you're going to be able to succeed with it. So, so I think, you know, the most important thing is the culture. Makes sense. I mean, in addition to the task of personalization, a lot of brands these days also have another <laughs> task that feels insurmountable, which is globalization. Mm. And, you know, having to scale their personalization uh, strategy for kind of different territories, different uh, countries, different cultures. You know, what are your tips uh, to brands looking to run an international personalization strategy? I think there's 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 always discussions that we're having because we, we get this quite a lot. Um, I always sort of bring out two different ways of doing it. I think there is there is the 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 large rollout, right, where we say, well, um, in order for us to do a large rollout in, in an international company and do everything at once, we need a, a serious buy-in from the exec leadership. We need a serious budget, and we need you know to get multiple cultures on board, uh, probably like steering committees or, you know, small like workforces from, from the different areas of the business. Um, what I personally have experienced probably work a little bit better. Um, it's like the more like guerrilla warfare style, uh, where basically, you know, you start small and, you know, you select a brand or you select uh, an area and then you build out a great story around it, you know, so you, 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 you get familiar with the new technology, you get familiar with the new process, you get familiar with the experimentation around personalization and testing and automation. And then you'd let that shine through to the other parts of the organization, right? So the reason to do that one is to start small and that's always easier to manage. The other thing is, you know, if you do good and you document and you broadcast your findings, you know, hopefully you will see, you know, faces from across the borders, you know, looking at you thinking, wait, wait a minute. We want to do that and then you can you can sort of build from there so i would say that that's um that's a very effective way of doing it and it's also it's just bite-sized chunks right it just makes it easier but you are right there's a lot of differences also between the, the different countries and, and even though we're in europe so definitely and there's not just differences in countries right there's also differences in industries I think mm -hmm. when we talk about personalization naturally people's minds tend to go more towards retail and e-commerce we think of kind of personalization journeys that take place uh, as people as kind of customers and businesses alike are running through online shopping um, but you know it is something that all industries need to be using and I'd love to hear your view on if there are kind of any industries that are really leading the way and pioneering on the personalization front and if there are any that, that are sort of falling behind that that really need to revolutionize their strategy let's start with the uh with the lackers I mean to be a bit provoking I think I think uh and it has not only been like during the pandemic it's also been for I think you know financial services mm -hmm. you know and, and including insurance you know and, and banks and everything you know they I think they've been for a long time you know 
um, a little bit behind the curve in terms of, you know, digital services. And a lot of stuff has been based on, you know, manual processes, a lot of paperwork, a lot of, you know, legacy systems and the compliance and everything. So obviously it's not, not all their fault, but it's also the way that the whole industry is set up. But to put a positive spin on it, you know, they're moving really fast right now. You know, we have a lot of great discussions and also great customers in, in that industry. And, you know, there's some really interesting discussions that we're having with them in terms of how, how we can do better, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, now since we can't really go into a, you know, local store branch of either insurance or banks, you know, they, they need to be more online. Um, so it's really interesting. I think when it comes to leading the pack, and they actually done that for for a little while. I think manufacturing is is a, is a super interesting place to look if you want to get inspiration in how to 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 drive a digital strategy and be more digital and be more personalized. You know, and it, we're talking about massive brands that are you know also old in 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 nature yeah. and structure as well that are doing some some really cool innovative things. So I think you know manufacturing is really is really looking to lead or actually is leading probably when it comes to the adoption and 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 strategizing and, and executing on, on personalization. Oh, interesting. I wouldn't have thought of them leading as an industry. I mean, have you got any particular kind of case studies or, or any brands that you've been working with at Sitecore who are, who are really pioneering digital transformation? I think from a manufacturing perspective, you know, you know, working with the likes of, of sort of like uh, Volvo Construction and, you know, some of those like companies where you would think, you know, what, what you know, guys, what, what, I mean, you're a heavy organization, you have a lot of employees as well, you know, a lot of what they're thinking about and they're doing and, we, and discussions that we're having, you know, are, are quite cool. And just other companies like that, you know, we, we work with a big, you know, um, steel manufacturer and, you know, it's, though for many maybe producing steel is not the most sexy thing in the world you know they they they, for their customers has done like really innovative great stuff where you can imagine if you're in the industry of steel you know there's different you know tons of different steel types and you know sizes and width and you know um quality as well so so they've gone and and developed like a almost like you know like a, a steel selector tool um almost like you do if you like if you think of it from a consumer perspective you know if you're if you're creating your own car or something like that so they just done it with steel and you know normally it was it was very manual you know getting a seller out or, or calling someone now you can do everything online and they use that to upsell and in your cross sell and, and i mean that's innovative in that way very interesting like darcy said would not have thought about some of those industries utilizing uh, customer experience tools like cycle to deliver um, those types of experiences. Mm. Talking about companies that need to invest into their sort of their tech stack to deliver better um, experiences. I want for our listeners benefits, you know, if you wanted to implement something like Sitecore within your organization, or if you wanted to make some changes to your customer experience, you know, who who would you need to speak to? Who the Who are the people that are driving that change? Who are the people that are making the decisions and I know if you go from like board level down what's the sort of the journey or the the breakdown you're touching on a very interesting topic right there because I think the you know through the history of or my history in cycle you know we, we've gone from very IT focus down to more marketing focus you know IT is definitely still there and, and for many companies you know it lies within IT but it's you know at the nature of digital marketing you know marketing is is where a lot of those things are happening but it's also where a lot of those things, you know, in terms of problems occur, because um, you can you can say that maybe the CMO 
is widely responsible for this type of tech today and you know an implementation and everything um and i know we we i've probably mentioned this a few times the problem with with cmos today is that typically they need to ask for the budget somewhere else um so so when we talk about something like uh you know, a platform to drive personalization or automation or, or great customer experience, you know, if they need to go to the uh, finance officer, um, he will say, what are we going to get out of it? And if the uh, CMO uses a CMO term and saying, well, we're going to create a great customer experience, the finance guy will say, that's not a metric. I can't put that into the, you know, into the, the, the budget. Yeah. <laughs> you need to give me something else. And I think, you know, that, that that's where one of the problem lies is, you know, it's that you know it lies with the CMO, but we need to start thinking a little bit more in financial terms, in terms of of, of getting the approval and buy-in and everything to actually execute on it. If that makes sense, should it be like a separate budget then, so you actually have a, a customer experience budget as part of your marketing budget, so it's not just um, you know yeah. into that one. Yeah, we actually do. I mean, what is interesting when you're saying that like a separate entity, we do see uh, new roles emerging, like a, a customer experience officer, right? Who is on a C-level uh, figure in the organization, but driving is driving that. And I think, you know, uh, that is, you know, one of the, the positive things we see, okay, that's a company that's taking that serious. You know, a guy that reports into the CEO, and is responsible for driving customer experience. You know that 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 that's some of the stuff that needs to happen in order to succeed with this stuff. If it becomes like too tactical or, or like too practical in a marketing department, oh, we just have a website and we do personalization, and it's uh you know half, you know a student assistant marketing manager that that runs that. You know that that's that's not what's going to drive the company forward. It definitely feels like it could be one of those new roles that you start seeing popping up now because it is going to become integral to delivering the right experience on the digital platforms. Yeah. So talking about investment in technology, what can you tell us about how companies are investing in technology and what can they do better? Um, so in investment, I think, you know, obviously COVID again with everything else or the pandemic ha has accelerated, you know, some of that. So it's becoming more business critical. But if you look at, you know, a few more years back as well, you know, the investment in, in, in such a platform like Sitecore or such a platform like, you know, some of the other platforms out there. Um, it's been quite interesting to study, you know, on what grounds companies are making those investments. And I think a lot of a lot of these uh, companies had this tendency of, I think I've used that term before, like whoever shouts the loudest. Um, so maybe, maybe we have all felt that I, I have for sure as well, uh, felt that, you know, you get a new C-level guy coming into the, to the organization and he's done something in the previous life and you say, well, now we're going to do that here as well. Yeah. So, uh, and he shouts louder than the rest of us. So we're going down that right, that way. Right. So that becomes the, like almost the ground of, of, of the choice of, of a digital strategy, a digital, a digital platform. The other thing is, you know, when stuff breaks or becomes like sunset in the life in the support. Um, so, we, I mean, I think we've seen that a lot of times as well, you know, a company is sitting with some old legacy, you know, it's, it's old, but it, it's working. Um, and suddenly, you know, it's end of support, right? And they're like, oh, we need to get something new because this one is not supported anymore. So we need to go out and, and, and you know, base our investment around that. So I think, you know, we've been quite immature in the way that we have been investing in technology uh, for a long time. Mm -hmm. so yeah unfortunately it's it's like that a lot no it makes sense and you 
talked a little bit earlier about how you know it's not just getting the investment right and you know actually buying the technology it's then having the the culture to implement it and how important that company culture is so you know in your position you know your director of business value and strategy for EMEA um so you know you're obviously kind of leading a team and, and helping to kind of lead success for your customers as well so how do you ensure um that the culture is staying right uh, that it is kind of technology and innovation uh, forward and friendly well speaking from internally you know i i lead a a, a team of of strategy consultants here in emea um i think a lot of this is around you know um, maybe looking at me as as a, as a leader you know trusting these guys and and also trusting that i don't know half of what they know um so so getting getting some people on board that are and getting some people on the team that are, you know, I know this might be a used phrase that are a lot smarter than you, um, that that can do a lot of that stuff and, and drive some of that culture. I think that I think that's super important. And then, you know, um, to some degree, trust them to do the right thing. On the other side, saying, well, we need ways of making sure that we measure on it, right? So when we do try new stuff, when we do um, experiment, one thing is trust, another thing is actually also proof, right? So so getting getting um, something in place that, that can that can measure on it. Definitely. And more widely, what would you say kind of are the qualities of a successful strategic leader? I think the trust is is that thing, you know. Uh, I think if you want to be a, a successful strategic leader leader or at least someone that I would also looking up that that I would I would like as a leader, you know, the trust is the most is the absolutely most important thing um, when it comes to that. Also, because you know, we, we, when we are talking about new stuff, when we are talking about being innovative, and I think companies need to focus on it, and you know, a lot of companies are as well. You know, we need to to understand that that we don't, you know, as a leader, know everything. Yeah. Right. We need to get some people on board that can challenge us, and then we need to, you know, stop the micromanagement for for a little bit and trust the people. And being in the, the leadership role, obviously, you'll probably find yourselves a, yourself in a, a few um, pressure situations. Yeah. How do you manage pressure? And how would you advise listeners, you know, what, what could they do to manage pressure differently? Is any, do you have any sort of key takeaways? Um, my wife told me this. Um, go, go outside. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know. <laughs> Might be might be a weird one, but but these days I think what works best for me is is uh, take a walk, um, and you know also have some of those meetings outside. Um, um, my wife introduced me to like walk and talks, like she does that with a with a lot of her, a lot of her colleagues and employees as well. You know, let's meet outside. You know, forget about sitting in front of your like teams or and I know these days it could be sometimes challenging to meet as well. But then put your headset on and walk around. And yes, there might be background noise, but you know it, it gives a different perspective on it. So I think you know from a pressure perspective, it's breaking those. Uh, breaking those horrible cycles of sitting in front of teams and looking into a camera all day. You know, I think that's probably one of the best advices I could give. Sound advice. And actually, I, I did see someone on LinkedIn. They, when they do a meeting now, they post a little icon next to the meeting. If you don't, you know, if you need the screen or not, because then mm -hmm. that'll give you the choice, and then you can make sure you go have a little wonder. And now that the weather's getting better, especially across Europe, it's 
definitely recommended. So yeah, it was a pretty, little bit challenging. Solid. <laughs> yeah, a little bit challenging in the Nordic when you wanted to be on camera and and you had to like hold your hand up and you get frost frostbite and everything <laughs> in, in like freezing conditions. But yeah, it it, it, it seems to work. And, you know, you've had um, a successful career to date. Uh, we've spoken a little bit about that. Do you have any um, earlier influences um, and are there sort of any standout experiences which have, um, you know, affected your approach and, and your, your journey so far? I think this is one is, is a little bit interesting. It's also a little bit personal to me. Um, I think in my, in my very early days in, in Cycle, um, I had a really um, – Called hard ass manager. He was he was very knowledgeable, um, but he was also quite old school. Um, and you know, I, I'm not sure if we're going to give this as an advice or just maybe just take it as a as a as a, you know um, something that helped me. He he a lot of time questioned uh, not what I was doing, but if I was making the right choices career wise. Um, so he might not have done it in the most elegant ways, but but he he used the term that he thought I would be better as a chef um, oh, really? than <laughs> digital marketer or sales guy, which always was super, you know, intimidating at that point, being a young man and you know, um, but but looking back at it, you know, I would probably approach it quite differently myself. But what he basically did and that worked for me was, you know, making sure and just asking, you know, are, are we doing the right things? Are you on the right track? Is this actually mm -hmm. something that you want to do? Should we change things around? Um, and in his non very elegant manner, that's what he did. And it worked really well because every time I, I, I came home and he said, Yannick, are you sure you shouldn't go up and just be a chef instead? If this is really the right thing for you, you know, it, 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 it sort of, kept me thinking it is the right thing for me i want i do want yeah. this um so so you know that worked for me uh, i'm not going to do that with my in the same way with my employees i'm not going to ask them to become chefs or something else but but you know if you think about it you know making sure that people do what they like and what they really want to do i think you know that's uh, definitely that worked yeah and did you uh, did you cook for him then <laughs> or did you how did he I, I never, get I never, gave, I never gave him that pleasure. I told him about all the because I, I do like to cook as well, but no, um, he was uh, he, he wasn't the type of manager I would cook for. So uh. <laughs> clearly, he should have been nicer and less challenging. <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> even if it did better for you. Um, but thank you so much, Yannick, for all your insights um, across kind of strategy, leadership, and personalization. We're gonna close off the episode uh, with our short, sharp round that we like to use to get to know our guests a little bit more. Um, so yeah, just gonna ask you some quick questions. If you can fire some quick answers back, I'd like to start off by understanding what you say you do versus what your boss thinks you do versus what your family thinks you do. Oh man. <laughs> uh, so what I, what I believe I do is that I help with that adoption, you know, both internally in psycho and externally, you know, and I help companies grow their digital maturity to become more successful mm -hmm. psycho and, you know, the companies we work with. So that's what I see. I do uh, uh, what my boss thinks I do. I actually don't know. Um, <laughs> He's, a, he's quite a nice boss and he seems to like it but but yeah he's, he's one of those guys that you know seems to trust me so i'm actually not 100 sure because he doesn't ask many questions so i'm not sure what he, he exactly knows what i'm doing um my family 
they think I work in IT and I do in IT. So every single time something is broken, whether that's a TV or mobile phone <laughs> or internet, they call me up. And, uh, you know, half of the time I have no idea. But uh, anyway, I work in IT. That's the only way I get to speak to my parents nowadays <laughs> <Right>. anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, what are you, are you reading anything good at the moment worth, worth sharing? I'm, I'm reading something off topic, though, uh, but I will, I will share share that anyway. I'm, I'm reading some fantastic books by a Swedish author called Jan Guillaume. I think he wrote something that's called The Great Century. It's a lot of books, a lot of pages, but it's basically uh, Europe uh, throughout the ages, back from, you know, um, yeah, all the way before First World War up to now. Um, so highly recommendable. bit heavy, though. But, yeah. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> and then... Um, go from the reading to the watching anything good on uh, on netflix or amazon prime that that you're into the money house the house of paper that spanish one i don't know if you've seen that but it's uh, no. it's amazing on, on netflix i've heard good things and yeah. seeing as you've talked so much about your alternative potential career as a chef i do have to ask you what your ultimate dish is fried chicken fried chicken nice to, to make or to eat <laughs> is it your speciality well, both, <laughs> I think. Nice. So yeah, no, that that's that, that's a never-ending experimentation. You can only always get better, and you can always try something new. So yeah, yeah. And then uh, on the subject of technology, the the I think our favorite uh, quickfire question is: What is your technology guilty pleasure? I, I, I'm a, I really like mountain biking and I really like going downhill. I don't really like going uphill mountain biking and being from Denmark, it's, it's the wrong country. Um, but I have a very fancy mountain bike with a lot of, you know, moving parts and suspensions on it. And I have found this device, um, that is a digital device that you can connect to your bike and it will give you analysis of your riding style and how to tune your bike. Uh, that is one uh, super nerdy thing. Um, the other one is uh, probably a car that I don't know if I'm ever going to get, but I bought an electric car and ordered it, but I have to wait about six months or something uh, to get it. But um, yeah, that, that, I ordered a Tesla. Um, nice. Tesla so, gets um, frequent shout-outs on this yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Craig, hopefully you've got a, uh, a car sponsorship I think coming we need, your way. We need yeah. a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about an experience, you know, it's, it's one part is super amazing. Another part is the worst experience buying that because you don't get any information. You get an approximate date of when they might be able to deliver and then that's it. Is that because of there's a, just a backlog of orders or they just, they build it bespoke to you? What's the holdup? They, they have always done that. You know, they've always been not very informative in terms of when. So right now they're saying that I'm getting it in September. But if I call up Tesla, you, know, you, you get a representative from Tesla. The good thing about it is they're not a car sales guy. They're typically young uh, men and women that just love tech mm. and Tesla. So they will talk, they'll talk your ear off in terms of tech. But, but he'll say, I don't know. And I say, well, <laughs> it's a new one coming out. So, you know, can I test drive it and say, well, you're probably going to be test driving your own car when it comes because we're probably not going to get any before. So it's like I bought a fairly expensive car that I'm not going to be able to test drive until I put the money down and get it yeah. But, uh, but yeah so it, it is bespoke but yeah so it's either have a good customer experience or have a really good product that it doesn't matter <laughs> how, <laughs> what the customer experience is you'll you'll love yeah. it anyway yeah hopefully but yeah so that's probably going to be another guilty pleasure i'm not going to spend way too much time in that pressing buttons and <laughs> i don't know yeah. understandably talk about uh, 
funny, funny thing about Tesla, if we do have time, uh, I've read something, you know, since I I ordered it, I joined all these forums uh, online and Tesla owners are the most informative people slash insane, you know, bloggers, writers, Facebook posters about everything. And there was this quite, quite funny thing. They they have this fart function on it that will make your car fart or make fart sounds. And this guy thought it was funny because he's picking up his daughter from school and the car would fart constantly. Problem was that it something broke, so he couldn't turn it off. So now he had like a car that was farting all the time. So he basically wrote in Facebook said, "I would never, ever, in my wildest fantasy, see imagine myself um, going in for repair with the headline my car farts.'" <laughs> um, but that was a that was a. So he had to bring it back to Tesla to fix that farting issue. I'm guessing that's a function that the boys would play with more than uh, the girls <laughs> or men or women. Yeah, uh, potentially. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Yannick. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we close off, I'd just like to ask you, you know, what's the kind of one issue that's top of mind today? Uh, you know, and if, if there's kind of one key takeaway from our chat today for our listeners, what would that be? Build that business case, I think, you know, that, mm. I mean, understand the quantities and the qualities of, of something like personalization, what that means to your business. I think that's the number one issue that we see. And I think that's one of the most important things there is. Um, just don't buy into the idea that it's because it's amazing for someone else, it's going to be amazing for you as well, uh, without understanding what that amazing actually looks like. So I would say the biggest issue and the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity is, is you know, try to understand the quantities around what it would mean for your business in your business terms, for your teams, uh, with your wordings and with your numbers. I think that's, yeah. So crucial. That's probably the, the one takeaway. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You're welcome. And thank you so much to our listeners. Um, If you enjoyed this interview with Yannick, if you catch this episode in time, you can uh, look to sign up for rco.digitalcafe on the 27th of April. Or alternatively, if you'd like to hear a bit more from Sitecore, you can listen back to our first episode, which was actually with Paige O'Neill, the Chief Marketing Officer at Sitecore. That's definitely worth checking out. Otherwise, please rate, review and subscribe and we'll see you for the next episode.